All right, it is the week of June 20th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick OJ, and today we're going to have a shorter episode. If you can't tell, if you're watching on YouTube, I am not in my house, been traveling, lots of technical difficulties, but we've still got some important stuff to cover. So it's going to be shorter, but we still got some very big topics, first of which, and probably the most important topic, should Nate Diaz be released? He's been asking for his release. The UFC is kind of indicating they might actually grant it. This time around, we'll see if that actually happens. But we're going to look at the strategy from both Diaz's perspective as well as the UFC's perspective on whether or not they should part ways. So we're going to break all of that down. Then we're going to talk about PFL. Got some new ratings in, which are surprising, honestly. And their tournament this week is very different than it looked just a week and a half ago in terms of who's on the card. Lots of moving pieces there. We're going to break all of that down. Then we've got our quick hit section where we're going to talk about some Aljamain Sterling comments and some uh, Shapiro fireside chat comments with some good insight there. And lastly, we're going to talk about the match. Another big story we've got to break down. Very surprising numbers out of that, at least from my perspective. Um, Very big deal. No international media rights for that whole event. We've got to talk about that and see really what happened there. So timestamps at the bottom. If you're on YouTube, hit that like, bell, notification, and subscribe button. And let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. First up, we've got to talk about Nate Diaz. So if you haven't been following this on Twitter, uh, Diaz has been asking for a fight for a while. Uh, July or August, he's been kind of clamoring for. seems like he's not getting it, so he is now tweeting out wanting to be released, sending some emojis with paperwork, uh, sending a couple of, uh, you know, photoshopped things with him versus Jake Paul, some photos together. So it looks like he wants to go box Jake Paul. And surprisingly, when Dana White was asked about this, he said, you know, yeah, probably makes sense for Diaz to go and fight Jake Paul, which would mean Diaz would have to be released unless they worked out some kind of weird deal similar to what, McGregor and Mayweather did, but I, I don't know that it's really worth the UFC's time and effort to try and do that. That being said, we've seen Dana say things before and then them not actually come to fruition. There's a lot of moving pe- pieces in this business. And we've seen Diaz ask for his release to say he's not fighting or whatever. And then, well, he ends up on a card against Leon Edwards. Should he be released? Should Nate Diaz be released? From a business perspective, let's look at all the angles here. First off, from the Diaz's camp's perspective, right? Makes perfect sense for him to want to be released. Either A, he can go box, which is now all the rage with MMA fighters going over to box people. He can go box Jake Paul and make more money than he's made in a long time. It probably has the best shot, I would say, against Paul, just given his style um, and the previous MMA fighters that Paul has has gone up against. I know that they just recently announced Paul versus Tommy Fury. So that's, you know, a Paul versus Diaz match is way, way in the future. If it's possible, right? We, we don't know the UFC will release him, but even if he does that matchup would not be anytime soon, but Diaz will almost certainly make more money boxing. He is a bigger name in the sport of MMA Casual fans know of him, right? Especially given the McGregor fights. It makes all the sense in the world for him to transition over to boxing and do those kind of big boxing fights. Those, I mean, I guess they're not technically exhibitions, but they feel like exhibitions, right? Because they're, you know, um, or maybe they are. Anyway, (laughs) somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of boxing as I should. Um, but it, it makes all the sense of the world when he sees guys like Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley go out and fight Jake Paul and make more money than they've ever made in the UFC. Diaz will be able to do that and make even more than those guys just because of his star power. And I think he could hypothetically win in that fight personally. Um, I mean, I, I might favor Diaz in a fight against Paul just because of his stamina and everything else. But From a business perspective, Diaz wanting out is a no-brainer, especially because he's not getting the fights he wants. The UFC keeps offering him Hamzat Chemaev, which he does not want to take that fight. 
and it seemingly <laughs> refuses to offer any other person unless i mean we don't know exactly who who all he's been offered but we know that he's been diaz has been offered chamayev multiple times we know that so he doesn't want to fight chamayev he wants to either have a you know big name fight or you know fight for the belt i would imagine at this point he'd want the mcgregor trilogy or a Poirier just because of the name value and they've been going back and forth forever and that's the kind of guy diaz seems to be where you know he he wants to finish what he starts um, in that regard. I mean, there's there's a couple of people out there that Diaz clearly wants, I, and the UFC does not want to offer them to him. It seems it seems we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We know that Nate Diaz is has a reputation for being difficult to work with from both the UFC's perspective and other fighters. So it's possible they're offering him people, and he's saying, "No, I want extra money. I want this," and they're just like, "No." We don't really know what those negotiations are. But from the Diaz camp perspective, being released is a golden ticket right now in an era where MMA fighters are going and boxing, you know, celebrities or other bigger names and getting paid way more than they get paid in the UFC, which is the top tier MMA promotion in terms of pay and all that. So, yeah. He, of course, is going to ask for his release. From the UFC perspective, Dana has, again, hinted that they might actually release Diaz. Okay. Let's look at it from their perspective overall. Diaz is a bigger name on their roster, right? And you could have some fun fights. You can help elevate newer guys, a.k.a. Hamzat Chemaev. You want you want Chemaev to get an even bigger boost in terms of casual viewership and notoriety and all that stuff, have him beat a well-established name value guy, Nate Diaz. It's perfectly reasonable that the UFC would want Chemayev and Diaz to fight because they probably see it as a win-win. If Chemayev wins, it just makes his star grow even brighter. If Diaz wins, then, you know, Nate Diaz is back and you can throw him into a title shot or into another big name fight and they get to kind of tout, whoa, Nate Diaz is back, right? I understand why the UFC is offering that matchup. I don't know that they should necessarily keep offering it, but it seems that they've crunched the numbers and decided that this is what is best from their perspective, is to have Diaz versus Chemayev fight. It would be a big fight right? At least in the MMA world, it would be massive. It would probably garner the attention of, I don't know which subset, right? They're, they have seven. The UFC, again, if if you have not watched this podcast before or heard some of the other podcasts I've done, we know that the UFC tracks their customers and, and fans, right, of the sport into about seven segments from super hardcore to don't even know what MMA is, right? That's the range. So that type of fight of Chamaya versus Diaz, it's going to hit more segments than normal. I'd say probably four would make sense, three or four, depending on where those partitions are. Again, I don't know the specific criteria that breaks down each segment, but I would imagine you get at least, I'm going to say at least four, maybe even five of the seven segments, which is huge, right? That's, that's what you want. Ideally you want fights that get all seven customer segments interested. That's your end goal. If you're the promotion, or at least it was now we've got, you know, the new deals with ESPN and we've talked about their fixed revenue, but you still, you still want that because you want the popularity of the sport to grow. So when you go back to media rights negotiations, you can point to that. You can get higher fees, do all that stuff. So that all being said, a, a Chamaya versus Diaz matchup certainly checks all those boxes, right? From a perspective of a big name fight th- that would probably garner attention outside of the normal realm of MMA fandom. How much attention depends on marketing, depends on where things are right now, but definitely more attention than, you know, a hardcore MMA bout or even a, you know, even, even a Holloway versus Volkanovsky three, right? I mean, it's a great fight. 
or not even Hanasan and Cannoneer. Like that's more MMA hardcore centric people. Yes, Adesanya has some drawing power, but we've seen it's kind of seemingly fallen off a little bit based on the fact that um, Whitaker versus Adesanya 2 was under 400,000 buys from what was reported by Sports Business Journal. Um, Yeah, I mean, Chimaev Diaz is, is a big fight. If you can't get that done, right? If you're the UFC and you can't get that matchup done, then you've got to look at other alternatives. Is there anybody else right now where you can make Diaz versus X fighter and it garners at least close to that amount of attention? And the fact that the UFC has not offered anyone else, it's possible that it is kind of a power move given Diaz's reputation, right? And it's like, no, you're going to fight this guy or nobody else. I could see that being the case. But I also still tend to believe that the UFC makes most of their decisions based on numbers. Despite the, you know, outward public perception that we see as fans and media, I still believe that really what got them here to becoming this giant powerhouse is they are a numbers-focused and data-driven business. My guess is that no other fight comes near that sans maybe a McGregor Diaz trilogy, which McGregor is healed up now, I believe, but I don't know that it's a hundred percent and they have to offer Diaz X amount of fights in a certain time frame, right? Based on the contract. So could also be like, Hey, we're going to keep offering you this. And if you keep saying no, it's going to get extended. And then if McGregor becomes available, well, all right, well then we'll offer you him, but he's injured right now. It's possible it's just kind of a stalling tactic. I can see that too. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that might be a possibility. But outside of McGregor, I don't really think there are other options that garner that much buzz and the type of viewership that the UFC ultimately wants. So then you look at Dana's comments, right? And you think about, okay, well, Diaz is turning down this fight. We don't have anyone else for him. Do we let him go? What's the impact if you let Nate Diaz go fight for somebody else? Well, there's a lot of impacts. First, one that comes to mind that probably a lot of people don't think right off the top of their head is that looks good for the antitrust lawsuit especially the newer one, right? We know it's segregated into two antitrust suits, uh, one prior to 2017, one after. That helps your 2017 antitrust lawsuit. It helps it a lot. Because now you're letting one of the biggest stars that you have go do other things. So when you get to court, you can say, look, they're not an employee. We, you know, we couldn't come to an arrangement on this fight. And so we you know, granted him his release. He's a contractor. He can go fight wherever. Now, of course, there's more to the story than that, but that's what they'd argue. So that's a big, big plus, actually, if they release him. Two, you don't have the drama of Nate Diaz being around anymore. So you don't have to deal with the, <laughs> with him in negotiations, which, again, he has a reputation for being not easy to deal with. And you essentially get to, you know, look like a, Hey, we're, we're doing what's best for him too. They, they could easily spin it as like, yeah, I mean, he should go fight Jake Paul and, and make that money and good for him. And, you know, he's a huge part of the sport and they can, you know, loud him with praise and, you know, spin it in a PR way. Can definitely do that. Obviously if Diaz goes to a competitor, let's say like Bellator or PFL, one might think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's a big loss and that could really start to create some competition. But ultimately, I don't see that. A lot of people have brought that up and said, yes, if Diaz goes and fights for PFL or fights for Bellator, yes, it would be a big name jumping ship for sure. But it's only one name. And yes, it's a big name, but it, it's not earth shattering. Even, let, let me lay this out. The UFC's 
strategic competitive advantages are so good right now that you could have Conor McGregor jump over to Bellator and become the new face of Bellator and be fighting all the time there. And it's not going to make that much of a dent in UFC business. It'll boost Bellator's, right? But I really don't think it would affect the UFC's business in a negative way that much. I mean, look at the fight cards that are being put out there right now. Look at, you know, some of the pay-per-views where you know, it seems like one or two big fights and then the rest are kind of lots of contender series guys. The UFC won the branding war. Outside of hardcore MMA enthusiasts, UFC is synonymous with MMA. They don't have to worry about people jumping ship, especially since pay-per-views are no longer such a main part of their revenue, right? The biggest thing they have to worry about is if a lot of fighters move all at once, and then you get a true redistribution of that scarcity asset, which you've covered in the competitive advantage episodes, which are a ways back. I highly recommend you check those out if you haven't. Um, and, and you like the show just because that's some of my best work, but ultimately you would need a big redistribution of fighters in order for it to negatively impact the UFC in a big way. McGregor, John Jones, Maybe Adesanya, but that's, I don't know about that based on his, his latest numbers. Those are the only three I can think of that if they move to another promotion, it's going to boost that promotion and maybe slightly, ever so slightly cut into UFC's margin. But if you look at how often they fight, Adesanya is honestly... <laughs> the one that would have the biggest impact since he's regularly fighting. Jones hasn't fought in ages. McGregor comes back out once in a blue moon for a big fight. That's it. But I mean, even, even McGregor, right? Even him, if you take away his pay-per-views, let's say he doesn't fight in 2021, UFC still making money hand over fist. Gregor probably won't fight this year. UFC is going to do fine. Will they have the best year in the history of the company and all that? I don't know about that. But they're still so far ahead of the competition. So when people say like, oh, well, you know, Diaz could go somewhere and it might hurt the UFC, it won't. Diaz, Diaz isn't even on the same level, anywhere near the same level of draw as those guys. And if he goes over, yes, it will boost whoever he ends up signing with right or if he does boxing i'm sure that will do good numbers especially against jake paul but it's not going to really hurt the ufc unless enough of their fighters leave if all of a sudden you've got multiple champions multiple you know top ranked guys moving to another promotion or to other promotions and they have that drain of their scarcity resource then it's an issue but right now they hold the majority of the best fighters in the world. It is what it is. They, they really do. And that's not to say that there aren't fantastic fighters in other promotions because there are. But when you look at the overall quantity of the best fighters in the world, the UFC is way ahead, way ahead of everyone else. It would take much more than just one person moving over. You would need tens maybe even now probably not 100 but you you would need most of the champions most of the bigger names to all leave then that really starts to threaten the ufc's business model and undermine the image they've created as this giant brand so if you let diaz go right if you're the ufc and you just say you know what just, just gonna let him be released it helps you in a couple ways right as we just talked about with the lawsuit and with kind of you know a pr spin but it also doesn't really impact you that much. So when Dana says like, maybe he goes fight Jake Paul and that, you know, people are saying, well, they'd never actually release it. They could. Now what you do in this situation, right? Is 
you're not really looking at a competitor analysis because again, you're the UFC, you know, you're fine. Instead, you've got to look at the cost benefit analysis for opportunity costs of missing out on Nate Diaz fights if you're the UFC. So if I'm the UFC, I'm not really looking at what happens to a competitor if he goes there, but more so if I could have booked Diaz in fights, how much money am I actually losing, right? Because I no longer have him to be booked. Can I have another combination of fighters that essentially equals the same amount of money either through the fighter costing less and drawing less, but you know, overall getting a higher profit or am I really kind of missing out here where there is no other combination of a fighter or, you know, matchup or event that will mimic what Diaz could bring to the table. And we can't see into all the analytics, right? Because this is where you break down social media numbers, you break down traffic, you break down all of that data-driven stuff that I said the UFC was. This is really the nitty-gritty part of it, where you're doing analysis on what is the opportunity cost for not having Nate Diaz fight with us versus us signing him and trying to book him for fights, paying him, and dealing with the fallout of his, you know, social media, of his fights, all that stuff. And that's tough because we we can't actually see those numbers from our perspective, but one would think that it's probably harder to replicate somebody like Diaz. He's again enough of a name that even though he's a pain in the butt to work with, and even though he's getting paid more than a lot of other fighters just to show and win, he probably brings in numbers at a level that is hard to replicate just because of what he was able to do in terms of beating McGregor and getting that shine. But it's possible that that shine is worn off too, right? He's not one in a while. <laughs> And and he's, you know, had some bad losses. Yes, there's the infamous clip that he retweets and a bunch of other people retweets about him hurting Leon. And had he finished Leon Edwards in round five, that would have been a huge boost for him. But he lost the fight. He didn't finish Leon Edwards. He lost. It doesn't make sense to put him in a title shot, obviously. You've got McGregor, maybe Poirier again, but you don't have a ton of options. Chemayev would be a good boost for Chemayev as a gatekeeper or another big boost for Diaz if he's able to overcome Chemayev. But those are pretty much your only options. Whether or not the UFC releases Nate Diaz ultimately will have to come down to what are the numbers he's actually bringing in that the promotion cares about. And again, doesn't matter with Bellator, PFL, whoever gets him, doesn't matter what they're doing from the UFC's perspective. Can we replicate those numbers? Can we make this work cost wise? That's what it's going to come down to. And unfortunately we won't know the only, the only way that we will know as media and fans is whether or not they release Nate Diaz, because if they do release him, I truly believe it will be, they've crunched the numbers and said, look, we can figure out other ways around this. We can kind of replicate these numbers, pay, you know, have a fighter who's not as popular as he is, but is gaining popularity. <clears throat> and we can kind of get him in the spotlight. We'll pay him a lot less than we're going to pay a Diaz. And we can kind of push some of these guys. We have enough of these irons in the fire. We can let that go. Or Diaz isn't trending like he used to, because he hasn't fought in a while. hasn't won in a while. So now is the time to go ahead and cut him loose. That's ultimately what, makes that decision in my opinion. If they keep him again, I think numbers are pointing a completely different way. And that kind of, you know, is saying we can't really afford to let Diaz go right now because we can't replicate those numbers. It's, it's the opportunity costs too much. So let me know your thoughts. I know I've gone all over the place with this, but wanted to look at it from every angle I could. Diaz, it's a no-brainer. They should be released. From the UFC perspective, it is very much a 
numbers game. And it comes down to that. And that will decide, in my opinion. That's that's how I think the promotion operates. Everything that they've done indicates to me that, that they're that type of company. I think it'll come down to those specific numbers. Let me know your thoughts on whether or not Nate Diaz should be released. You as a fan, are do you want to see Nate Diaz back in there, even if he's getting crushed by Chamaya or somebody else? Would you rather see him in boxing? Where's your interest level too? Because that makes a big difference. If consumers would be all about watching him box Jake Paul, but then wouldn't really care to see him versus Chemayev. Well, again, that makes a huge difference. So let me know your thoughts on this whole Nate Diaz situation, if he should be released or not, because I'm very curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Okay, next thing we're going to talk about is PFL. Some new ratings in that are pretty good for the promotion, actually. So this is from our good friend Jedi Goodman. Um, on Twitter. And just to give you an idea of the rating so far this year, PFL one for the 2022 season uh, was on ESPN on a Wednesday, 144 K ratings 0.03. The demo PFL two is on ESPN two 71 K. So that's less than half uh, 0.01 in the demo on a Thursday. So that was by far one of their worst showings uh, bounce back with PFL three at 140 K point zero two on a friday and that was on espn 2 pfl4 which was on espn on a friday 303k point one in the demo on a friday that's a huge bump it's more than double anything we've seen this season uh if you look back at pfl4 um and pfl some of the bigger you know ratings throughout the season's going back to 2018. This is one of the highest, especially for a regular season showing. So that's a huge win for the PFL, right? Um, very, very big numbers, at least for PFL standards. Um, that's that's a big deal. We've talked previously on this podcast about how the PFL is still in that startup phase. They're still going out. Um, Don Davis was just on... Sports Center with Aaron Bronstetter talking about, you know, the season. They're still doing that PR campaign, that startup. Yeah, we've got all this awesome stuff we're disrupting. They were at Collision HQ, um, which is a, you know, summit where they talked. They had Clarissa Shields go out and talk with them, talked about disrupting the market. They're still in startup mode, still very much in startup mode. And they've got to entice investors. They've managed to, you know, secure another deal with ESPN for media rights, which was big and got, and then we've talked about the sponsorships they've been able to bring in some of the bigger blue chip sponsors. They've been able to bring in recently on previous um, episodes of this podcast. 303 is, is a very big number for a regular season, especially on a Friday. That is a win all around for the PFL. In terms of this Friday's uh, event, you've got five alternates coming in which is interesting. Uh, had Again, th- this seems to be something that plagues the PFL quite a bit, is that while they've got the meritocracy, they've got a set structured format that they can easily disseminate to new consumers. That's, hey, this is a tournament bracket. Here's your regular season. Here's how the points work. All pretty easy to digest all pretty straightforward. They keep running into issues where fighters are either getting injured or they're missing weight, or there's just things happening where they're having to bring in alternates. They're having to scramble and move around fights. I mean, you've got five alternates, five alternates fighting on on Friday. That's, that's a lot. Um, And it doesn't look great just from an optics perspective, right? If you're trying to make this, more like a traditional sport, part of that is consistency. And part of that is knowing, okay, these are the, where, you know, the fighters are in the standings. Here's what's going on, switching it up because you're having alternates in and then having those alternates essentially have to get finishes first round, second round finishes to even have a shot of making it into the playoffs. It's rough. Heavyweights particular is just a mess right now. Right. Um, 
it, it, it there's got to be a better way you would think to keep fighters in better shape or to have some system that's easier to digest. Cause right now, if I'm brand new to this format and I'm watching one, two, three, and all of a sudden four comes up. And by the way, we're just, or four, I'm sorry, five comes up. Um, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, by the way, now we've got a bunch of new faces, a bunch of people you saw fight before are out. And now we've got these new alternates and they have to get a finish here. It's like, it's, it's definitely going to be kind of a head scratching thing. Right. Um, you don't see that a lot in other sports. But as we know, they have been working out the kinks. They have improved their production quite a bit. They've gotten bigger names. They're they're all taking all, all of these steps the PFL has been taking are moving it in the right direction, which is to be, you know, the number two MMA promotion. They tout themselves as the number two MMA promotion, and they that's really their goal. They understand they're not going to surpass the UFC and rather than try and take that on and say, yeah, we're going to do that. You know, maybe they, the end goal is they will eventually, if they continue to grow and become, you know, something formidable against the UFC. But really right now they are just aiming for the number two spot. They understand where they are in the ecosystem, in the industry, and they're trying to claim that number two spot. Again, it's hard to say that they're actually there with Bellator being profitable, having the names that Bellator has, um, but they, they are making big strides. That rating is a huge bump, especially if they can consistently get ratings up there, which I'm not saying they will necessarily. Um, but if they can start to move the ratings higher and trend higher, that's big. Cause when you go to investors, the actual numbers themselves, you know, you can kind of explain away versus, you know, this was a one-off. You, you can, if you're a skilled salesman, you can explain away a lot of individual data points. It's much harder to explain away a trend. And that's why if you're trending upward, right? If they're able to get some higher ratings and you're able to say over the course of the season, we actually trended upwards in terms of viewership, you can drive that home to investors all day. Trends are much harder to explain away. So big ratings for them. Got to work out some of the kinks, but again, very impressive to see where they are this year compared to, say, 2018, right? Production has stepped up immensely. Um, they've got these new sponsorships. They're, they're taking the right steps as a startup to get to that long-term goal of, of being this competitor in the space. Let me know your thoughts on a what you think of all the alternates for Friday's match. Um, by the time this is released, it will already have happened. Let me know what your thoughts are on the event. And then B, something I want to know from you guys is with the change, change is really the PFL has done in the past several years. Are you enjoying it more? Are you watching? Because again, on Traffic in terms of when we do PFL videos and things, it's still pretty low. But are you as fans that are watching the hardcore contingent, are you enjoying it more? Are you seeing people talk about it more? Is it becoming more of a name in the space? I want to know from you guys because I still think that one of the best gauges you could do is kind of a survey of actual purveyors of the sport and, and fans that essentially says, you know, what are you watching? What do you like? What do you don't like? I want to hear from you guys on this because in my opinion, I think they're trending in the right direction, but maybe I'm missing something here. Let me know your thoughts. It's interesting times with PFL. That's for sure. All right. Diving into our quick hits section. We're going to talk about a couple things here. Aljamain Sterling has publicly rebuked the notion that he is signed to fight TJ Dillashaw. He said he hasn't signed anything yet and he's not going to unless he gets a bump in pay. Um, you had Marab Davishvili, who is uh, Sterling's friend teammate, say he knows his price and that, you know, um, you know, he knows what he's worth. You've got a lot of people saying, okay, like he's just going to kind of hold out for a, a big pay bump and they're not going to do a fight. They, they, at least with him, they will probably do an interim fight if he holds out or maybe they'll strip it. You got a lot of speculation here. 
This isn't surprising, given some of the comments Sterling has made about fighter pay recently. It seems like he either knew about this stuff and then was waiting for the platform to talk about it, or he's been educated recently on the subject, but he is holding out for more pay. He has a pretty thorough understanding of how the fighters are are being paid compared to the actual revenue the company is bringing in. I suspect he will probably hold out and they will probably do an interim title to start. And then if he continues to refuse, they will strip him, but I can't see the UFC budging here. um, Unless they really can find a way to justify giving him a small pay bump. But even then, you know, that opens a Pandora's box of sorts that the UFC has rejected for the most part, which is that you can't renegotiate. You sign this contract, you renegotiate when it's time for a new contract. You you can't renegotiate during a contract. We have seen them make exceptions uh, when fighters have fallen out or there've been issues, right? Masvidal got his pay bump in order to fight Usman when he first was kind of rejecting that notion. Um, We've seen it happen couple times for short notice fights and all this stuff, but really save that happening. I got to imagine they'll do an interim title fight of some sort and then either strip Sterling or force Sterling to fight the winner. That's my guess on how this plays out. I do not think Sterling holding out will get him the pay bump he wants. That's going to be my guess. Uh, Second quick hit is we had some comments from another fireside chat just fireside chats in 2022 just been phenomenal uh you had mark shapiro from the ufc talking about uh you know in a fireside chat some some important business stuff uh paul gift is always tweeting it out so this is from his thread which you can find yourself on twitter at mma analytics june 17th um but highlights here are you know The UFC generally starts the renewal talks with ESPN inside 24 months. So really, anytime after 2024, the UFC and ESPN could be negotiating the new deal, right? Which is up in 2026. So they could be working on that deal starting January 1st, 2024, hypothetically. Um, Also, Shapiro talks about taking a lot of costs out of uh, the, you know, own sports segment, which is Endeavor's own sports segment. Um, and uh, and I believe, I apologize, it's been a crazy couple of days, but Shapiro it works for Endeavor, not for the UFC. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he goes on to talk about the own sports segment believing they can stick at their 50% margin for a long time, which kind of hints at fighter pay kind of staying where it is Uh, says that the UFC left Fox for ESPN because it's the home of sports fans and they knew ESPN would be getting the best marketing partner, which, okay, it's really about money. That's, that's kind of just fluff. Um, But quote here, we took a lot of costs out of endeavor during the pandemic and we've done a good job of keeping those costs out doing more with less. And they are looking to pay down the debt to have Endeavor be levered less than four times um, by the end of the year, which is important, right? Because when we're talking about debt leverage and all that, I'm not going to go into a huge spiel on what that all is, but essentially the UFC and Endeavor particular has a huge amount of debt that they've taken out in order to purchase the UFC, make other acquisitions. And as we talked about on last week's podcast, that's really based off of, according to the contracts we know, uh, based off of interest rates. So as interest rates have been spiking, which have been going up, Fed's trying to combat inflation, at least this is all in the U.S. for any international folks, um, that's making their debt cost more and more. Interest payments are going up. So they are now, they've always been committed to paying down debt, right? That's what you always say anytime. Uh, it doesn't matter if debt is basically dirt cheap. You're still going to say you're committed to paying it down. But it seems like they're now making a push to pay it down almost certainly because of rising interest rates would be my guess. Cause it looks like the fed will have to raise interest rates quite a bit for the foreseeable future in order to tame inflation. It's, it's going to cause some spikes. So at this point, 
expect Endeavor to try and get as much debt off of their books as they can, especially if we end up in a recession and all that fun stuff, which it looks more and more likely we're headed that way. Um, another you know, key thing he mentioned was that UFC sponsorship revenue is triple digit now um, compared to when Endeavor bought the UFC. And they believe they can double current sponsorship revenue by 2025. So that's a huge deal. And then talks about uh, media rights being renewed in several segments. We've already talked about the UK, South Korea, all that stuff for double what they were. So some important tidbits there. Uh, Working to pay down debt to, again, combat rising interest rates. You've got the renegotiations with ESPN starting in 2024, which is pretty soon. And then you've got Sponsorship revenue, still a huge highlight and margins for their own sports properties still at about 50% and believing they can hold there. So fighter pay is not going up anytime soon. You want to talk about Aljermaine Sterling getting a bump? Well, not if it's going to affect that 50% margin. So that's the quick hit section. Let me know if I missed anything. If you want me to hit anything in this next week, uh, happy to talk about it. But yeah, let me know your thoughts on all that. Do you think Sterling's going to actually get a pay bump? Uh, Do you think... Endeavor can pay down its debt fast enough because they're against the clock here. Let me know your thoughts on the quick hit section. All right. So last thing we are covering today, a match. If you don't know what that is, I will break it down for you. It was a Japanese kickboxing match, a super fight between Tension, who was over in Ryzen, and Takaru, who is K1. And highly anticipated match. They've been trying to get it together for a long time. We've just talked about it on, on the podcast last week, I believe, in terms of, you know, Ryzen's issues with losing Fuji TV broadcast of this and not being able to get an international broadcast media rights um, deal done for, you know, a pay-per-view that could be viewed internationally. The only way, I, you know, I know people were able to watch it. I wasn't able to watch it live. Um, I'm an old man. I go to bed way too early, but uh <laughs> The only way people were able to watch it live, so I've heard, is through VPN. Um, But the numbers out of this thing are huge. And the fact that nobody picked this up is a giant failure. It it will maybe will go down as one of the bigger combat sports blunders. Some of the numbers we have out of this. Massive attendance at the Tokyo. A gate. I know the number's gone back and forth a little bit. I believe the $25 million number is correct. Somebody also said 15 million. There was some confusion around that, but either 15 million or 25 million gate, which is huge. Put that in perspective. McGregor Alvarez did 17 million, I believe in terms of gate. So this is a bigger gate than that. Um, 500,000 pay-per-view buys. Just an, an outright huge event in Japan. Um, I mean, this is, this is big. That's, that's crazy numbers for this. I didn't expect it to do that. Well, I knew it was super anticipated. I wanted to see the match myself. Um, which, you know, if, if you're getting me to be interested in kickboxing, that's, that's a pretty good sign. Cause I'm more on the casual side for that. I know. I'm sorry guys. Um, but I mean, th- those are crazy numbers. 500 K pay-per-view buys. $25 million gate that, I mean, you, if you're rising and K1, you can't be happier, right? You cannot be happier about those numbers. That's the type of stuff you dream of. That's, that's huge. And the fact that there was no media rights deal in place um, is also insane, right? There was no fight pass. Didn't pick it up. Um, Live Nation, Live Now, right, or whatever it is, um, didn't pick it up. Nobody picked this up. They left a ton of money on the table. And yes, international, again, you're looking at time zones. It, I get that, that, you know, it's not going to be this overwhelming number. It's not like you left 500,000 more buys on the table, especially when, you know, for a lot of other parts of the world, you're getting up crazy earlier you're staying up super late to watch this it's it's just the wrong time zone type thing but still the amount of money you probably left on the table is is significant and i just don't know if people didn't do their due diligence on this 
or if they thought, okay, it's hyped up, but it's just kind of like a really niche thing. It's not that hype, but man, it's mind boggling that the analysis on this was, was so poor because basically other businesses would have had to look and see, okay, yeah, it's not really worth the cost. We're probably not going to get that many buys. We're not going to do it. And they either went off of gut intuition, which businesses do do that. They're not all data driven, or they went off the numbers that they saw and they said, you know what? It's, they interpreted it in a way that now we're not going to make money out of this. And maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe if you do, um, you know, a fight pass deal or what have you, maybe you only get 50,000 or 20,000 extra people watching or something like that. I think you could have got a lot more. Personally, I would have paid for the replay for sure. And I know several people that would have stayed up late and paid for a live event. I saw lots of people asking for streams, all this other stuff before I went to bed that night. Big deal. Uh, very big deal. So again, how does this happen? How how does you leave that much money on the table? It's it, it comes down to poor analysis. Yeah, a missed opportunity by several players in in the industry there where you probably could have made a fair amount of money. Maybe not. Maybe there's numbers to back that up and I'm I'm off base here, but generally if your event is doing that crazy of a gate and 500,000 domestic buys, got to imagine international buys would have been worth it, right? Regardless of what they would have ended up being, more than likely you would have made a a nice profit there. So, don't know what happened there. Um in terms of how this affects K1 and Ryzen, I mean, K1, this just, you know, amplifies them. For Ryzen, this is a big win, considering all of the issues Sakuraba has been dealing with and his past being brought up. Um, the connotations that, you know, Fuji TV and Ryzen might not have their deal anymore, all this other stuff. This should put those to rest, I would imagine. Because regardless of, you know, his past and everything... I mean, when you're when you're pulling those numbers, that's a huge deal. Fuji TV also probably might be a little upset <laughs> that they didn't didn't keep uh, didn't keep that deal in place or get that deal done to broadcast the match because yeah, they dropped the ball. And sometimes you got to do that, right? You you have to take a stand based on your values or, or whatever else is going on, where you have to kind of you know. Look at the risks and say, nope, we're, we're going to take this decision. And, it's, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, I'm going to say that for Fuji TV, it's it's not a great time. They, they left a lot of money on the table. Uh, advertising probably would have been very nice. So with that in mind, um, huge win for Ryzen, Sakuraba, right? This should definitely put him in a much stronger position to keep Ryzen going and get a deal done especially if he's highlighting kickboxing. I know tension is looking to, you know, kind of hang up the kickboxing, but um, it, it shows potential, right? Shows a ton of potential here in terms of, uh, you know, building kickboxing stars and building, building people out of rising that can be real big draws. This is, is a emphatic win for for Ryzen. This is this is I, I cannot understate overstate rather how big of a win this is for Ryzen. And sorry fireworks are going off now because you know people just love to do that. Uh but yeah I mean couldn't have gone better for Sakuraba. So I think this will be an interesting thing to look at in the next couple months once the dust is settled if we start to see more promotions trying to do kickboxing right we've seen one attempt it uh we've seen bellator give it a shot for a bit and then kind of drop it i wouldn't be surprised if after this event we see more of a focus in kickboxing and ryzen in one the places that already have divisions set set up essentially i don't necessarily know you're going to see more people join the foray, you know, and start a kickboxing division. Like, I don't think 
I don't think Bellator kickboxing is going to make a huge revival here, right? Um, but if you've got a kickboxing division and you're kind of a hybrid promotion like One Horizon, you're probably going to start focusing on kickboxing a little bit after this and see just how much you can ride this wave, right? See, oh, here's the next tension. Here's the next Takaru, right? There's a whole bunch of possibilities there. Um, I also think with, you know, you've got Ryzen doing the Mayweather uh, Asakura fight. I think doing that and then maybe next time doing a big kickboxing match or something along those lines with a bigger name. Um, is, it's hard because right there is no Floyd Mayweather of kickboxing, so that's hard to do. But wouldn't be surprised if you see some more crossover of big kickboxing names coming in for one-off fights, for super fights. I mean, this, this is the business case and proof of concept for, okay, if you promote a kickboxing fight correctly and you've got two, you know, star athletes, you can make a lot of money. This is the business case of, yes, money is, there is money in kickboxing is really what this is saying. We've seen it in boxing forever. We've seen it in MMA with stars like McGregor and Rousey. There really hasn't been kickboxing events that have drawn this level of revenue and interest. This is now that business case of, yep, no, it's there. You just have to get the right pieces in place. So very big deal. Um, congrats to all those involved. From the highlights I saw, it seemed like a pretty great fight. Yeah, I mean, I expect more kickboxing to be coming our way um, from one and from Ryzen. And I wouldn't be shocked if Glory gets a big push, all this other stuff. You're, you're going to see a draw to it now, I think, especially after a match like this. All right, and that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Appreciate you guys bearing with me through the technical issues. Let me know your thoughts on some of this stuff. Should Nate Diaz be released? Do you think he will be released? Well, what's your whole opinion on Nate Diaz? Let me hear him. Uh, PFL, are you guys watching? Do you like the new production? All that stuff. The match. Did you watch the match? Do you think kickboxing is going to have kind of a renaissance from this? I mean, that's a very bold statement. But still, you think it's going to kind of push kickboxing popularity a bit? Let me know all your thoughts and questions. Make sure you like, subscribe, bell notification if you're on YouTube. If you're listening on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, what have you, appreciate you guys as always. Let me know your thoughts. Anything you want me to cover in the next couple episodes, would love to take those questions and comments. And until next time, get money.